Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is episode 152 with Matthew Serrato. Matthew Serrato is the Merced County District 5 City Councilman and Merced County Chief District Attorney. Our theme today is rebuilding a city. Born in San Francisco, grew, grew up in Burlingame, California, down the peninsula from San Francisco, Huge sports fans growing up. He was a 49ers, Giants, and Warriors fan. Went to high school in San Francisco. He played baseball all through high school. Won the team award voted on by the players his senior year. He went to college at UC Davis in 2002. Graduated with an honors, majored in history, minored in English, and war and peace studies. He took a year off from school after college. Taught English in Belgium for two months. And in Argentina for five months. As a young man, he worked as a caddy at the Burlingame Country Club and a sheet metal factory, and as a parks worker for the city of Burlingame's Parks Department. After he came from Argentina, he went into law school at UCLA, graduating in 2006 in the top third of his class. He took the bar exam right after that, passed, and started working at the Merced DA's office in 2007. He has been there ever since for 13 years. In that time, he has tried 64 jury trials, including 10 murder trials and a number of other life cases. He was a lead deputy district attorney on a major wiretap operation that won an FBI award for 2017 and was also named the State of California Prosecutor of the Year that same year for rural medium-sized counties. He was elected to the Merced City Council in 2016 and is currently the mayor pro tem. I'm so excited uh, to be interviewed. It's going to be one of my favorite podcasts. This is my cousin, Matt. And what we're going to talk about today, he is now uh, trying to be elected as mayor of Merced. But 
what we're going to talk about is what is he doing to rebuild his city? And we're also going to compare that, being a great sports fan that he is and playing in athletics, how do we compare that to building a basketball program or a football program? Uh, we're going to find similarities. We're going to find differences. And hopefully you can learn something from this. But this is really a very personal podcast. We're going to share a lot about um, his battles that he went through uh, in his life and so forth. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Let's welcome Matt Serrato. Hey, Matt. What's up, Kev? How you doing? Good, good, man. Hey, what a great honor, man. Episode 152, and it's probably going to be my best episode, man. Best or the worst, possibly. More likely worst. <laughs> it could be the best or maybe the least listened to, but I think it's going to be <laughs> I don't know. We're shooting for 10 listeners tonight. You know what? You know, like Michael Jordan, <laughs> you know, it's either, hey – if, if you don't win, hey, man, it's not it's not very good, man. No, no such thing as losing on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, Jordan, God. Oh, man, if, he, if him, he, he lose, God, it'd be like three months of just steaming and stewing and just a lifetime of grudges. And that's how you motivate yourself, you know? It is. A lot of the, yeah. A lot of these yeah. great athletes, they – well, a lot of the great athletes – they know what mindset they have to be in in order to perform at their best, you know, and they, and they know it and they get themselves into it and they have to play little mind tricks. And it makes a lot of sense. If you have to get up for a game every, you know, in, in basketball season, well, plus the playoffs, you're, you're probably talking a hundred times a year and you got to get up and perform at an elite, elite level. I mean, you, it, it involves a lot of, you know, mental tricks. And I think that's being, a lot of the, you look at these Bulls teams, you just notice how they came out. They come out like just focused, kind of angry. Yeah. And that was their mindset. That's a very powerful mindset, I think. You know, I played basketball best when I used to play a lot like that, like a little, just a little ornery, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's the winner's mindset. You know, actually, I was, yeah. I send out some today, man. I, I have, um, we have what we call Google Classroom and we send out, we st I, st I still send out to, <clears throat> Everything now is online, as you know. Um, I sent out a little video on the winner's mindset by Kobe Bryant. And, interesting. It's really interesting. And it's so true, man. It's like there's no there's no gray area with those guys. No. No. I mean, you're talking about guys who are the best ever. The best but. ever. Um, and we're going to talk about Jordan more. I have some questions for you about the last dance because there's some really some great concepts, some great scenes I, th I think this is one of the best television programs that I've seen in a while. I love doc. I love documentaries. Um, yeah. And it's been great. Hey, uh, first of all, I love the uh, welcome. Um, you know, my cousin here, Matthew Serrato, man, what, what, what a pleasure. And uh, I already gave your introduction and so forth. It took me forever because man, it's an unbelievable career you've had. Um, and I really enjoyed kind of seeing all the great things that you are doing. So, uh, but welcome to the podcast, man. No, thanks, Kev. Great to be here. You're one of my favorite people, so it's good. To, we don't get <laughs> enough time to spend together. So it's been a couple of years since I've been back to visit you guys. So nice. To, it's a great excuse to catch up a little bit. And this is a great time right now to really spend time with family. And I know that now we have the technology to do it. Um, but um, 
you know, I, I think it, I think it's important. We got extra time on our hands for those who are, you know, in the house. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't get out as much. Hey, let's talk about family. And I uh, I know family means a lot to you. Um, and what does what does your family mean to you? And kind of give us a little background of where you grew up and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, born uh, in San Francisco, but grew up down the peninsula. Um, you know, just kind of a, I'm really a good family, just a normal, wholesome, just good upbringing. My great, great parents, um, you know, my, and my brother and sister, uh, always had a dog too. So it's kind of the classic, just good <laughs> suburban upbringing, uh, and was just really fortunate to have great parents and kind of, you know, when you're growing up, you see it and you kind of take it for granted a little bit, but then when you get out more and more in the world, you really see that, um, you know, what a huge uh blessing that was you know and what a huge um you know that's not uh, i know great families are they're not they're not to be taken for granted and they're not uh you know unfortunately they're not as common as they should be and you know i was very extremely fortunate growing up to have just good support of loving parents who you know treated me that way but they also you know instilled humility and hard work and they didn't spoil you and they just you know and they made you be independent and you know, just tried to raise good people first and foremost. So, and, and how many, cause I know that I'm a teacher and coach and you deal with a lot of people, Matt, uh, some people that, that probably are not, uh, don't have everything given to them. They don't have come from good families. What sure. has your family? I know, I know you always think back when you see people that are coming from, you know, no dad, no mom, maybe yeah. even no parents, um, or somebody's in prison, you think you're pretty fortunate. I mean, you you feel like you're blessed, don't you? I know I do. Absolutely, and I know you too. You've known your well, my aunt and uncle, your your parents. They, I mean, they're good people, and they your my, your mom might be a little. Uh, she's a little intense from time to time, <laughs> to say the least. But and my but dad on the you. golf course. My dad on the golf course. You remember that? He's the most <laughs> laid back, easygoing man in the world until uh, he hits a bad golf shot or two. <laughs> but. <laughs> But no, your mom, she's intense, but it's, but it's with love. It's like an intense love. She, I remember once I was visiting you guys, she just yelling at me, like, get down here right now and <laughs> eat this breakfast that I just spent the last two hours preparing for you. <laughs> and then nothing, to me, nothing sent your mama better than that. Just intense, yelling at me, mad. But she had slaved over breakfast for two hours while I sat there in, in bed rolling over, over and over again, you know. That's right. Those are the good old days. But, <laughs> But no, you yeah, see it. I just, and, and, I mean, to your, the point you made earlier, you get um, over and over again in my job, you just, you see, um, you know, people who come into the criminal justice system who are just the product of pretty awful upbringings and didn't really have much of a chance. And it's just, it's, it's a simple fact that, I mean, bad families on bad households are cause huge social problems. There's all kinds of negative externalities associated with it for sure. And the theme I mean, I, I read I read a lot of great articles on you, Matt, and I found out a lot that I did not know, even though, you know, I mean, even though I thought I knew a lot about my cousin, but I really didn't. You're doing a lot. You are trying to rebuild your city. And I'm really proud of what you sacrifice and what you're doing. And it's, and it's really I have all coaches that listen to my podcast. I think coaches can learn a lot from how you're rebuilding your city. So that's what we're going to carry on to. But talk yeah. about how sports 
growing up with sports, and you know we're we're Bay Area boys, man. Yes, sir. And how 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 did sports have an impact on your life, and how you can kind of relate it to what you're doing now? Yeah, um, yeah. First off, I mean, in terms of me rebuilding the set, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, here in Merced involved in <laughs> work on the city and working on problems, and you know, I think we got a lot of good people who are just committed to to moving the city forward one step at a time and, and doing whatever they can to make it better. And I, you know, I like to play the little, the little part that I play. It's I'm fortunate to do. Um, but then in, with regards to sports, I mean, just a huge part of my childhood, I think, you know, from the time I'm seven years old, you know, all the way well, until recently when now I, I can barely run cause I got arthritis in my, in my hip. But uh, until then, I mean, sports are just a huge part of my life. I, I think, um, and they're a huge part of a lot of people's lives. Um, well, for the enjoyment they give you, the, you know, the, the lessons they teach you, uh, the way you have to interact with people, be part of a team, the competition, um, just everything you're put in difficult pressure filled situations, uh, on and on, you name it. There's an enormous value in sports. You deal with adults, you deal with people your own age, you deal with, you know, authority figures, you deal with people you're competing against, you deal with teammates, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of complex social relationships that develop, um, and then just a lot of uh, you know pressure filled situations. I think, and it gives I don't know it gives a childhood um, kind of a, a more you know a more important quality too. It really does. I mean, you you've got a lot to live for sometimes. You play in these big sporting events, and like an extreme example would be in the you know the classic Friday Night Lights, a small town in Texas or Georgia. Uh, you know, and you're a high school kid and you're playing in front of 10,000 people. Um, and just the excitement that, that, that offers one and to the, the pressure and the ability to, to deal with difficult situations. Um, and, and talk about your, I mean, cause I know you had a good athletic career. You were, you were a really good basketball player, uh, in high school and also a really good baseball player. Talk about what you did. Talk about like maybe your coaches or what you learned, uh, I'm going to brag about you a little bit, man, because I, I know yeah. you had a really good career and so forth. And talk about how the maybe even the coaches had an impact on, you know, kind of what you're doing now a little bit. You learn a lot from your coaches, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Coaches have an enormous, enormous influence on you. I mean, I wasn't I was really basketball is probably my naturally my best sport, but I didn't have I had a, I kind of fizzled out quick in high school. I didn't enjoy it very much. And I had a bad freshman year and then I kind of just quit after that. Um, so I did OK in basketball. But, you know, later on. Go playing, you know, just a lot of pickup and intramurals through college, through law school. I played a lot more basketball then and really, you know, kind of played with a lot of really good players after that. Um, but uh, including when I was at UCLA, we played, we, we had some good games. I mean, we played with some guys who ended up in the NBA, uh, who was a Luke Richard Mbamute. Was, we played in a pickup game with him yeah. once. Uh, <laughs> remember Mercedes Lewis, who was in the NFL? Yeah. Take a game yeah. with him. He, funny story. My friend was driving to the hoop once and he thought he put the moves on Mercedes Lewis. And he kind of, <laughs> my friend was a really good player. And he, he gets around Mercedes Lewis and he's driving to the hoop. And he's coming in for the layup. And Mercedes Lewis comes flying in from behind. And my, my buddy thought he was home free. He thought he just burned Mercedes Lewis and went to the, went to the hoop. But you know, Mercedes is probably 6'5", big, huge guy. And he jumps up and blocks his shot so hard it hits against the backboard and starts a fast break the other way. It was like he he swatted so hard against the backboard. It was like an outlet pass, <laughs> and it went the other way. But um, and those football players, you don't realize, man, those football players are great athletes. Because oh, I remember, I remember, and I, this is not a podcast about me, but I want to share with you uh, at West Valley Junior College. I, I was there for a short time, 
and I wanted to play, you know, junior college basketball. Yeah. And um, I, I had a, an invitation to go and, you know, scrimmage, you know, with the guys and so forth. At that scrimmage, there was Ronnie Lott. Really? At that time, <laughs> how old I was. Uh, he was scrimmaging and so forth. Thick, strong guys. And I, yeah. I was playing against, you know, some guys from Stanford and West Valley. And I was competing, but I wasn't even close. And I found out right away, hey, maybe coaching's in my career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now quick, you really learn. Well, yeah. Uh, but you, you look at these guys. Yeah, you love the game. You love the game, but you just don't have, you know, you don't have the talent to do it. Well, coaching's a great way to do it. But Yeah, uh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, yeah um, another game. No, coaches have an enormous effect. They really have. You know, on childhood, which is like mine was, which was dominated by sports, um, your coaches have a really outsized impact. They have a lot of influence on you. And, you know, you look to them, especially for leadership skills. And, you know, a coach can have – a coach can inspire. A coach can – I mean, a lot of ways cause a lot of terror in your life. Uh, a coach can make you a better person. Just the coach has a lot of influence. And, Matt, I guess what I'm relating to is basically what you're doing right now is you're a coach. And particularly if you will become mayor, which I, I know you will, um, you're going to have to lead like a coach, right? You're going to have to be a motivator. You're going to have to inspire. So it's the same thing, isn't it? It's similar. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's leadership in a very different, in a different form. I think, you know, as a coach, you work, you got your team and you're competing against another team and your job every day is to motivate them and train them and nurture them and make them better. Um, the city's the different leadership skills, I think at the city level, I mean, you have to, mm. you have to learn, uh, there's a lot of studying and, you know, a lot of it is, I guess that, like a coach, you know, a lot of it is solitary where you just got to learn and study and, um, you know, find out as much information as you can talk to people, you know, find out what they think, what they want. And then it's kind of bringing people together in a lot of ways. Uh, and, you know, knowing what you can do, knowing what you can't do, politics, the old stereotype of the art of the possible, and just <laughs> kind of bringing people together and, you know, finding out where the opportunities are and where they aren't. And then, um, you know, finding that vision and then and having people coalesce around it. And then after that, the hard part is obviously executing the vision as well. So that sounds like coaching. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I, I think you're basically a head coach, and I uh, we're going to really pick your brain on you know, how you're doing that. But before we do that, I want to throw some sports things at you. Tom right. Brady had a chance to be a Niner. And of course that would be, you knew, you remember <laughs> Tom Brady when he played in high school and so forth, close to you. Yeah. Um, I saw him when he was in high school. I saw, actually, I saw him pitching. Uh, yeah. I was at a, he was a senior when I was a freshman and I was down, we were down at Sarah for a game. And uh, I remember looking over uh, uh, and there he was on the pitcher's mound. And, and he was, yeah, he was not considered. I don't think he was ever considered a great athlete. He no. made, he made himself into really, you know, obviously one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But um, I, I think yeah, he made the right decision. Him. Yeah, to go to Tampa for sure. You think to go to Tampa? Yeah, I think he made yeah, the right decision. How do you say that? <laughs> um, Time for a change. You know, everybody at some point you need to change. He's, uh, to me, he's not even close. He's the best quarterback ever. And this is from me, a 49er fan. Yeah. You know, I think, but, I think Jimmy G, I think Jimmy G, I think there's, I, I love the loyalty to, um, you know, Jimmy G. And so, I mean, so I, I just really think that the 49ers said, Hey, we love our quarterback. And I don't think Brady has many more years left. That's what I think. 
yeah, he's 40, what, 43 years old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. He's, uh, yeah, a couple more years. But, yeah, it's not, it's not a long-term thing. You want a guy you can last at least five, eight years, you know, when you want to do a long-term title run. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think it was good. I think camp is going to be fun to watch, though. Hey, Matt, talk to me about The Last Dance. I, I, I know you've seen every episode, correct? Yeah, yeah, I've watched every episode. It's the only thing going in sports right now. <laughs> well, they talk I, I about just it on had... Sports Center after the you watch it, and then they talk about it on Sports Center. <laughs> we're so desperate. I, I was just Nikki and I were just watching a yeah. old classic NBA finals, and they were singing the national anthem, and we both ran in there saying, "Oh, oh man!" We started crying like there's a game <laughs> going on. We started we started getting emotional, and it's like, well, don't you think when we first had that first game? in a packed house, how emotional it's going to be. I'm, I'm getting yeah. emotional right now talking about it. Well, yeah, you think of like, well, remember 9-11 and all the, uh, uh, you know, the, with the World Series being afterwards in, in New York City when the Yankees played the, uh, uh, the Diamondbacks in that World Series and how emotional that was with George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch and everybody, you know, going crazy. And I mean, it could be, it could be similar to that. But I mean, but a lot of it's going to start with no fans. <laughs> It's going to start with no fans and so forth. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be curious. I mean, we're it's a wait and see. And I know a big part of what you're doing right now during the pandemic is trying to, I guess, medicate as much um, positivity as possible, I guess. Um, I know you're going to talk about that. But going back to the last dance, what does – is there a price to be paid to be a great winner and leader? like Jordan was, there's definitely a, a, a price you have to pay to be a great leader. Know, that was Jordan's theory. There's a price to pay to win and there's a price to pay to lead. Uh, I think there is. I, I mean, I think great. You look at a guy like him, like Kobe, you know, Kobe Bryant, you mentioned earlier, a lot of these elite athletes, there's certainly a price to pay for greatness. And that's, it's not glamorous being great. It's just, there's a lot of hard work, a lot of grinding and just tedious, difficult work. And all these guys understand it. I mean, you think all the, all the, time they spend in the gym alone all the time they spend in the weight room that's the price you pay and you remember like jordan at the beginning when uh he comes on to the the bulls in the mid 80s and yeah, i mean according to him according to a lot of other people it was just a, it was kind of they're going around partying they're partying and, yeah yeah was, and, they, and they're i mean they're going around having fun and they're professional basketball players mm-hmm. but jordan would have none of it and jordan uh remember he told the story where he went into a room once and they were partying and he just turned around and left and he didn't want anything of it. And he's like, you know, you come and you take it seriously and, you know, you work hard and you sacrifice and that's paying the price, I think for greatness. And I think, yeah, and, 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 yeah. and his you leadership does too, because you gotta, you gotta come in there and you gotta be tough and you gotta break eggs uh, and you gotta make people do things that, I mean, his own words, take people to places that they didn't want to go necessarily and drag them along. And um, I'm not so sure if, you know, I don't know. I think you can do it and ins- you don't have to grind people down. Uh, I think you <laughs> sure. can do it. Cause right, there's two types of things in this world, right? There are things that give you energy and things that take energy from you. Um, I, I think you can lead and inspire in a way that also it's not just you giving and giving and giving it's you, you get back, you get energy, you know um, like Jordan, for example, Jordan gets so tired and has to retire. I'm Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. 
Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Matt. Hey, saying about the price of leadership. Yeah, cut off. But I think the you know what we talked about earlier is I'll summarize it briefly. One, um, you know, greatness has a price, and I think I think we before the call cut off, we talked about that. Where you know guys like yeah. Jordan and Kobe Bryant, they realize the amount of work that goes in, and that there's a price to be paid. Um, uh, and a lot of things are like that in life, right? I mean, you just you need to in order to be good at something, you have to work at it, and there's the price you pay. Um, leadership. I think it certainly has a price as well, but maybe not in the way that Jordan did it. And to me, Jordan's leadership style was such that he gave energy and didn't get any back. And that's why it's a constant theme throughout the show. He's so he's tired and he's worn out and he's worn down right. and he can't do it anymore. Um, certain people, and you see it. I mean, there's probably a million people like this and who have great long sports careers who can sustain high levels of achievement for longer because you know, they put into it, but they also get energy back. And, right. you know, like a guy like, well, Co- I could use Kobe again. Kobe was a guy who, you know, had a similar mentality to Jordan, but he had a long, long career. And he, I mean, they had to drag him off the court. And he, he got hurt towards Achilles, came back again. And because he got, he gave and gave and gave like Jordan did, but he got energy back as well and got reward. That's in his leadership style. And I think a lot of people's leadership styles are such, but. Jordan, it was just, it was one way, you know, it was all him giving energy, giving energy and nothing coming back. Um, I think just, that's why he was so emotionally exhausted and physically you understand too, but um, you know, all the work that has to go into it, but he had to get himself up every night and just every time, uh, you know, he had to give more energy and give more energy. And Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why the, the former athletes, they're saying it now because I mean, they, they, they have forgiven him. But they knew that it was tough at that time. But they also saw that he was given everything, practices, games. I think you can forgive somebody. They can be critical. But, man, if they're given everything they have, I think you give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Absolutely. I mean, I come away with it extremely impressed with him. I I think he's, you know, his desire, his um, commitment to the game, never once, you know, mail it in. You compare, could you imagine if Allen Iverson was on his team? (laughs) Iverson's famous, you know, practice dialogue. Jordan would have killed him. Oh, and, you know, and he, but his, no, I just, you got to love his mentality in a lot of ways. I guess he probably could have been a little nicer. He didn't need to be the, go as far as he did, but uh, I think he certainly, and you can't argue with the results. 
you know, all those championships. Yeah, there was one segment. I think, and I actually, um, I actually tweeted it out today. Somebody had a segment where you know he got. They were asking him at the the end. It's like, why are you the way you're? And he he just got emotional. And when yeah. I always believe that when somebody gets emotional about it, means a lot. Yeah. Um, and he says, "This is how I do it. If you don't like it, then go do something yeah. else." And he's got. And, and really, it got to me because. And it probably got to you because I know you give everything you have. And a lot of people who are in leadership roles, man, we got to get after. We got to make people yeah. better. But um, he has he has no regrets. That's what I love about him. No, no. he. I mean, how could you? He's the greatest basketball player of all time and, you know, took his team to six championships. Um, but, yeah, and then his, he understood at a – kind of figured it out a couple of years in his career that he had to make everybody else better and bring everybody else up. And he bore that responsibility of, of uh, you know, bringing everybody else up with him. Yeah. And let's talk about what you're doing. Um, first of all, I'll talk a little bit about what is your role with uh, in the city there in Merced. And also um, I want to quote you something that I, I saw, which I think was really kind of says a lot about you. And what the quote is, um, you know, more than anything, I love the work Serato said. He says, I love the city. I love the residents. I love our team at City Hall. It's been one of the great honors of my life to serve over the past few years. I want to step up and do more. A lot of people have been encouraging to me, and I've been thinking about it for a while. I think it's the right thing to do. I think I would do a good job. And I guess this is the process of you, um, I think, looking to become mayor. And I might have missed out on the actual details yeah. of that, but um, it's a teamwork, man. So talk about kind of building a culture of what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to, I mean, specifically in terms of, um, uh, I, yeah, I think I agree. You need it obviously in the work of a city or the work of any organization uh, right. it can't be done by one person. You need as big a team as possible. You need as good a team as possible. And, you know, you get into, you know, organizational leadership and you get into, you know, all the different personalities involved in a team. The campaign is actually a pretty good, um, you know, it's hard right now because we can't do a lot. So everything is, it's just, it's very different than it, it normally would be. But, right. you know, you got a group of people and your, and your job is to mobilize that group to be as productive as possible. And it's the same thing at a city level. It's the same thing, you know, on a city council. Um, you know, our mayor, we have a, uh, it's a different form. Of, it's a council manager form of government where the power is not in the mayor's office. The power is in the council. Uh, and so the mayor is just one of seven on the council, really. Um, so everybody's got to vote. Uh, everybody's essentially powerless on their own. But uh, with, <laughs> sure. with four votes, the power is in the council, right? So the power is in the majority of the council. So once the council um, gets the four, then that's you know where the authority is. Um, and then the city manager is the one who kind of runs the city on a day-to-day basis, who does a lot of what you might think stereotypically is the, you know, the mayor work in a big city. Um, city manager is the one who does that. But the, the council hires the city manager. The council gives direction uh, to the city manager, uh, you know, because it's, it's a democracy and the council is elected. <clears throat> and so it's kind of that's the way the government is here. But no, there's a, there's a lot in terms of building. Uh, the biggest thing is I think is, you know, you find good ideas and you execute them. And there's a lot of people who have good ideas, but the hard part, I think, at at least at this level is to execute them oftentimes because it requires money and resources that 
you might not have or might be scarce or other times because it involves bringing uh, coalitions together and bringing people together. So I think you just, you know, you got to learn how to, how to do that, how to find the money, how to maybe find alternatives, uh, you know, learn to focus your time on what can be accomplished. Uh, oftentimes in local government, you have, you know, not a lot gets done just because there's no money and you need money to do things. But other times you can find alternatives to it, maybe mobilizing volunteers, you know, or finding other uh, things that you can accomplish um, or just, you know, doing other ways to find funding for, for stuff. But, uh, you know, the important point is you just, um, you know, it's, it's learning how to, what you can achieve and then executing it and doing it. And that involves bringing a lot of people together oftentimes. And, you know, you need, and a big thing too, I, with coaching and, and the same thing in, in city government is you need buy-in, you know, you need the people who are doing the work to buy in, um, you know, and you need, um, so how do you get that to ha- happen? I think, right. you know, just, there's a lot of just simple politics, which is a lot of just basic personal relationships and, um, you know, dealing with people, talking to people, how are you, you know, addressing an issue with them and just, you know, making sure before you start charging forward with an issue, make sure there's a groundswell of support for it. You know, you make sure that you, you talk to people, you make sure there's going to be enough support for it. You kind of get a feel for the playing field. Uh, so you lay the groundwork before you really start charging forward on something. That's an important point too, you know, because um, oftentimes you can get way out of your skis or proposing an idea and there's no support at the back end. You, know, you see that all the time in politics. Um, and, and it sounds like to me, Matt, you're trying to build relationships, which I think definitely correlates with athletics. Cause I know the, there are, I think the successful coaches build relationship and connections first, yeah. and then everything yeah. else comes along. Don't you agree? Correct. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You have, and it, too, in my, in my other job work for the DA's office, you know, being in, in management, in the DA's office, it's the same thing where you got to build relationships first and you got to build relationships before you can kind of have those honest, hard, difficult conversations with somebody. You know, someone I have a good relationship with, I can go in and pretty much a good relationship to me is somewhere you can go in and pretty much say anything to somebody and be frank and constructive and honest. And uh, they're going to respond in the appropriate way, you know, um, and, and, a, and have an honest dialogue about difficult topics. Um, we see we've had, you know, you have people who they fail because as managers and, and it's the same thing in politics, it's the same thing in managing an organization like the DA's office. And it's the same thing in coaching where. You don't, you don't build that relationship first and then you just go in and you criticize or you, you know, you, you say, you make critical comments, whatever it is. And it just, it doesn't come across right. And there's no effectiveness to it because you have to, like you're coaching somebody, right? You have to have that relationship first before you can really get through to that player. Yeah. And they, yeah, that that's so true. Uh, and it takes time to do that. I'm, I'm not sure how many coaches are willing to do that. Um, yeah. And I think like I think what you're doing, just just from kind of studying and kind of researching what you're doing, you're trying to build relationships. And and, and one thing I want to another quote for you, I got a lot of quotes from Matt. Um, and you said, I think we have a, done a lot on the council to rebuild the city in many ways. Serato said and he says step by step. Block by block, we have been reinvigorating our city. That sounds like a coach, man, because you got to go one step at a time 
and talk about that and talk about what, what are you doing with the city? Give us some examples of what you are doing, building it step-by-step step, block by block. Yeah, it, it takes, um, you know, all kinds. It takes the public sector, it takes the private sector, it takes local money, it takes federal and state money, everything. Um, and it's simple. I mean, you got a town like Merced, which, uh, has a lot of, there's a lot of ways we can improve, you know, the existing infrastructure and the buildings. We have a lot of buildings in town, uh, which are either vacant or underutilized or in need of improvement. Um, you know, an infrastructure as well that can be improved. So just a lot of the basics, just the road work, a lot of road projects we've done, um, a couple of bridges in town. I mean, just the fundamental kind of thing you hear over and over again at the federal level about rebuilding infrastructure. We've, um, you know, the one thing it seems both parties can agree on, we've uh, done a lot of that, bridges, roads. Um, and then also in terms of that, uh, a lot of uh, working with and partnerships with the private sector, uh, getting a lot of investment in town uh, to rebuild some of the, um, you know, the older parts of town or the more decaying parts of town, uh, notably our our mall, which was uh, very much in need of a of a redo is in the process of being redone. That's uh, a huge economic development project for us. Uh, really updating uh, the mall, which is a major shopping center in town. Our downtown, uh, another massive area of uh, redevelopment. We had uh, two very old uh, hotels, which had just fallen into incredible states of uh, disrepair. And both of them uh, are in the process right now. I can actually look out my window in my office and, and see the work being done. Uh, but one got turned into uh, a nice, really nice apartment complex, an old hotel that uh, it's been around forever and, you know, a lot of people over the years, famous people had stayed there and it just kind of fell into complete disrepair, but uh, now it's being redone. Uh, and another kind of central part of our downtown is another hotel, uh, which is being, uh, which is being transformed as well. Uh, so just simple things like that, you know, are a lot of stores that were vacant have been filled back again, just things that were dead have been given new life. And, you know, a lot of it's private investment. Uh, a lot of it's private investment that the city has worked extremely hard uh, to attract. And a lot of it is uh, city investment and policy, policy decisions we've made to improve uh, city infrastructure. You know, the parks, uh, the uh, streets, the bridges, you name it. So that's kind of what we mean. But and you, that's how you do it. That's how you improve a city. You, you just look at it and you go step by step. And, um, you know, the the whatever it is, the trees, the streets. Uh, just make pick everything up, bring everything up, make it better. Yeah, and I, I don't you agree too that if you feel like the private sector, the publics, if they believe in you, you're going to get a lot out of people. Don't you? Don't you really? I mean, is that that deep in your heart? They, you want people to believe in you, isn't that what you're trying to do? Absolutely. We've and we've talked to a number of people, you know, from the private sector and investors mm -hmm. and, and a lot, people in other towns who talk a lot about you know, downtown redevelopment or redevelopment of certain cities. And, um, you know, when someone's, when, when investors come in and make an investment, they have to believe, uh, you know, in the long-term potential of your city, just like a investor making an, a smart investment in a stock. I mean, you see that stock and you say it might not be worth much now, but I think this company's got a ton of potential. So, I mean, you're buying potential and you're buying, you know, a city that you believe in and, a city's got a certain narrative and a story to tell and you're buying into that. And I think, you know, we're starting to see that um, COVID obviously puts an enormous uh, 
hits the pause button dramatically for <laughs> sure us. Sure does. Yeah. But you were really starting to see that in Merced where you had uh, investors really starting to buy into the upward uh, trajectory of Merced and thinking this is a city with potential. And this is a city with a UC, uh, with a growing, you know, transforming downtown, uh, with a major uh, uh, new uh, medical facilities coming in. There's a Valley, Valley Children's is a, a big local hospital chain, and they're going to uh, put, put uh, a uh, satellite campus in Merced, too. So just, there's a lot of good things that were happening, you know, and I think we just hit the pause button, but we got to, we'll get back on track. We got to get back to work and, as soon as this, I mean, obviously this disrupts everything for a while, but when it's done, we pick up the pieces, uh, we get back to work, we get back on track and we'll get there again. Cause I think and, it doesn't affect the long-term trajectory. Yeah. And I was just going to ask you how the pandemic, how are you guys handling that? What are some of the things you're doing to, I guess, keep people positive because the media is not doing, I think they're being honest and they're giving us facts I think we need more positivity and I'm not saying I'm not going to get political here, but we really have to find something to keep people going. Don't you think? I mean, we, we got to get our leaders um, really stepping up and this is the time you find out really what kind of leaders you have under this pandemic. Yeah, no, you do. It's, it's difficult because everything now has become so political, right? I mean, we have, folks you know mostly on the and it's unfortunately like everything it breaks down democrat republican left and right you have folks mostly democrats on the left who seem to take this much more seriously right uh, and then folks on the right who say you know folks on the left say look we have 85 almost eighty-five thousand people dead we need mm-hmm. to lock down we need to hunker down and we need to get through this and this is something that's extremely serious and um we need to take care of it on, on the right. Mostly you have folks, a lot of people saying, look, it's not that serious or, you know, if it's serious, we've, uh, you know, what are we doing? Like it's the point that the, that the cure is, or the, you know, the treatment is worse than the illness. And we've created just this incredible economic devastation. We've lost our personal liberties. Um, and so, you know, on one hand you have close to a hundred thousand people dead. On the other hand, you have economic devastation and, a huge loss of personal freedom as well. So, you know, you're dealing with very serious stuff on both ends. And I think both parties choose to emphasize different things. Um, and it be- unfortunately becomes very political. And that's kind of where the debates led in this country. And you're starting to see it in California. Um, you know, we have a, obviously California's, California's very liberal. And, you know, you have a governor who's taken a pretty strong stance on everybody has to to lock down and shelter in place. And, right. you know, at least, you know, around here in Merced, which Merced's a very moderate, uh, politically, very politically moderate community, but you're starting to see a pretty strong backlash. And you start to see a lot of people who say, look, these orders are, they've gone way too far. We've destroyed our economy and we need to get back on track. So you start to see a lot of that. You know, it's tough. It's tough. And now, you know, it's hard. I mean, I think the most, one of the most important aspects of leadership is good judgment right. and probably the most important, you know, you got to make good calls. And I think the hardest part right now is figuring out for, you know, we I mean, a leader who's, who, who makes that good call and who, you know, who finds, look, this is the right course we have to do take. 
And then at that point, you know, once you're confident in your vision and you're confident that you're taking the right course, you know, then you have to kind of, you know, one, you have to fulfill that vision Two, You have to manage um, people around that, you know, and rally people to it. And that's leadership as well. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess what I'm going to ask you is, first of all, how is Merced going to recover from this? Because I know you guys are in the planning stages, but are you going to get this is what I don't understand about our government is when do you get federal help? It seems like the federal government now is kind of wait and see and how the states deal with it. And I'm not sure if that's the most effective, but that's the if there is a plan, um, the federal yes. government government is staying away. First of all, why are they doing that? And is this going to benefit us down the road? I, I don't know. Well, the feds pumped. The feds have pumped a bunch of money. They've been pretty active already. There's been a lot of money at the federal level that's come in already. Um, you know, again, borrowed money. That's the thing. You make that point as well that, that a lot of this money is all just we we're running a huge deficit to begin with, and now you know that deficit's only going to increase. But the feds have been active. There's been you know multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages passed already. The twelve hundred dollar checks people got. Um, and then a lot of other forms of relief as well. Uh, there is also direct aid to the cities. Merced got some as well. So we come up on uh, May 18th, our next city council meeting, uh, to determine uh, how we want to allocate the federal funding that we received. So we're entertaining a couple ideas. Um, but the uh, um, yeah, that's the thing is, is how much... <clears throat> But how much money can you possibly throw at this? And, you know, at right. some point it becomes just, well, what do you do? You're sacrificing future generations for mm-hmm. for now. Um, so there has to be an end. And you see it today. I mean, the, the uh, Democrats proposed an additional $3 trillion, uh, $3 trillion stimulus plan, which involves <laughs> yeah. aid to states and local governments, which right. is, I mean, is obviously, um, you know, all kinds of different aid proposed there. But... You know, I think a lot of Republicans have protested already saying you know, we've already borrowed so much money. We're just going to keep borrowing even more. And at what point is it too much? Yeah, that's uh, you mentioned. You mentioned something. You know, are we sacrificing for future generations to survive now? I mean, uh, that's the tough. That's the ultimate question. Yeah. Um, hey, I want to talk about something that uh, you went through, because I think it's important for our listeners to kind of know um, you you battled cancer. And you were diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma in November of 2018. Um, and you went through the treatment and everything. And of course, you know, our family, my sister, uh, your mom, my grandmother, my grandpa, our grandfather, grandmother, you know, all had cancer. So yes. um, how did you, and I love what your uh, fellow people did for you as far as shaving the head. Talk about that yeah. and how, that probably lifted your spirit. Didn't it? it really helped you? Didn't it kind of get through it, but you had to battle a lot of this um, almost in a solitary way. Don't you have to, to battle cancer? Tell us how, how you did it. Well, cancer, I, well, there's what 1.6, something like 1.6 million people every year in the United States diagnosed. And, you know, our family obviously has been hit pretty hard with it. My grandma too, you know, my mom, uh, or two, well, your, your grandma and, and my, my grandma <laughs> from the other side as well. Yeah. Um, so I've had three out of four grandparents, my mother, my cousin, your sister, you know, myself. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately a lot in our family. Um, 
No, it's hard. It's, it's different. When you get into it, you know, you always, it's just, it's a different world in a way. And there's so many people who go through it. You kind of come out of, you know, my mom told me this at the beginning too. And I, it didn't quite make sense to me at the beginning, but then, or you know, before I started treatment, but afterwards uh, it really hits home. Is that there's just, you kind of give up the life you led and you take on a new life. And, you know, for that period in your life, it's just, it's a different existence. There's different priorities. There's different routines. Uh, there's different things you do every day and it's a different mentality and it changes. And then when it's done, hopefully, you know, you get through it. Um, uh, and you're fortunate enough, I think what 600,000 people die every year in the United States from cancer. So right. I mean, a lot, unfortunately don't, but if you're one of the, you know, uh, once he's fortunate enough to get through it, then your life gets back to normal slowly. Sometimes, um, you know, I still have to go back for checkups. I'm going back next month uh, for another wow. checkup. Um, but it's just, that was a big thing my mom told me and it, it, it rang true. It's just the, um, you kind of got, you got to change your life, you change your mentality and you give into the process and it becomes the, again, it, it's like, I mean, I think as a coach, you'd understand well, because, you know, you, now you got a job to do and you got an opponent and your job's to beat that opponent. And, you know, there's certain things you have to do to do it. And um, it's subjecting yourself to a pretty difficult, intense treatment. I mean, I went through chemotherapy and chemo's, you know, it's, it, it's poison that's being pumped in your body. And the point is to, you know, chemo kills cells and it's designed to, to kill uh, cells as they divide um, and you know it's poison and so it's right. difficult to it's difficult to handle and your job is just to you know be tough and to handle that treatment and and don't you know trust the process really because these doctors sure know what they're doing and there's just a ton of progress and research and just a lot of brilliant brilliant minds that have gone into you know making the advances that that we've made in terms of cancer treatment yeah and, and you uh, find out i mean it sounds like to me it's is it more mental or, or or is it more the medicines i i think with you and i think with um my sister and kathy i think you guys i think the serato frittados are just mentally i think i think that the mental toughness the positivity i think yeah. really helps don't you think yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, my, my mother is, she's extremely tough. I After seeing her through this, my mom's the sweetest person in the world, uh, but she's tough as can be too. I mean, she really is. She's got a very quiet, sweet way uh, about expressing it, but she is determined and tough and you can't, you can't tell her no, you can't deter her, um, you know, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive kind of seeing that side of mom and getting to know her even better like that and really kind of seeing her, uh, seeing that side of her really come to the forefront, you know, cause when she's got obstacles, difficulties, she's in pain, you know, and she's just still tenacious and she fights through it. And pretty cool. You know, but it's funny. You, it, it, you can yeah, I see, cause I, you know, my, the podcast, I, this has been great because there's so many connections and similarities between athletics, team sports, individual sports, even and life. I, and I think, yeah. We forget as coaches that we're teaching life skills. It's not about winning. Yeah. You know, we all want to win, but it's about what you learn to carry you on the rest of your life. And don't you agree with that, Matt? Yeah, I think, yeah, Michael Jordan would probably disagree with you, but I think, uh, <laughs> no, I, I absolutely, I think so. Because, 
you know what? You know, unless, well, unless you're Michael Jordan, life's not always going to go your way. And how are you going to respond? And how are you going to respond when you get knocked on the ground? And how are you going to respond when you lose and things go bad? And that's, you know, with obviously to the issue you were talking about a second ago, going through treatment, that's, that's been something in life, you know, didn't go my way, obviously. And, you know, a big point was how I was going to respond and what I was going to do. And, you know, and, but I think, yeah, you just, you, I don't know. You submit yourself to that process and you got an opponent to beat and you're in a lot of pain. You suffer a lot getting poisoned with chemo, but you get through it and you realize that a lot of people have had it a lot worse and, and a lot of people had to sacrifice a lot more. Um, I, I don't know. In the end, you're better for it. It's not, it's not worth it, but it's, it's, but I think, you know, I think I'm a much better person for going through it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love one of your colleagues. What they said was, I knew he was going through treatment in a way that really made him feel alone, Deet said. For me, I wanted him not to have the fear of being the only one to lose hair. You yeah. had a lot of people to help you. That's a lots of credit to you that these people really believed in you and really helped you. I think there's yeah. a lot of things about team spirit that can really bring people sure. up. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. No, I was lucky. I mean, I think I had a lot of people helping me out, both my family, my parents, my mom, um, and then a lot of friends as well who just really did a lot to help me through it. And, and uh, you know, I'm forever indebted to, to them. And you see, you have a lot of friends who kind of, you know, they'll stay quiet, but when the chips are down and when you really need it, they're there to help. And they right. really, you know, the other ones are kind of the opposite sometimes. Other friends who are, you know, they're there when it's party time, but then they kind of go away when – you know, it's difficult, but you have, you have friends who are good in either situation and really step up and flourish uh, in a lot of different, you know, depending on what you're going through in life. So I was really, really extremely fortunate, uh, you know, to have a lot of, a lot of good people really did good stuff for me. And, and, you know, I kind of committed to paying that back at some point. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And you're paying it back by giving back to, your city, because I know you're really helping out. Give me before we go, kind of give me your, give me your three top goals of, I guess your campaign, because that's what you're doing right now. Of what you want to bring to your your city. Yeah, with the campaign, honestly, right now, I mean, if you're talking about the the well, specifically with the campaign, you know, you know, win or lose, I want the campaign to to be something positive. You know, at first I kind of, you know, I wrestled back and forth, as you said, the article with whether or not to run at the end of the day. I thought, you know, after thinking about it for a while, I thought it was it was the right thing to do. Um, and campaigning is very difficult. Campaigning is hard. Campaigning is lonely. Campaigning can be incredibly time consuming and stressful. But I'm just kind of committed at this point to making sure that this campaign is, is worth it no matter what, win or lose, both for me and both for the city. And, you know, in terms of the people I meet and the relationships I build, uh, the teamwork, because um, we got a big, big group right now that's, that's helping out and, and a lot of um, just a lot of interesting, smart, talented people helping and just, you know, really making that campaign perform at a high level. Um, and then also what that means, too, is just, you know, getting our message out, having a big conversation with as broad audience as we can in the city about ideas and about ways to improve the city. Um because a, a, you know, a campaign at its best is, you know, a big conversation back and forth between the voters and the candidate. The voters get to know the candidate and the candidate gets to know the voters and what they care about. And then 
after that, you take that knowledge and apply that uh, once you're elected. And it makes you a much better elected official. So I want to have that big, I want to generate that teamwork. That's one, uh, and just run that campaign at a high level. Uh, two, um, have that big conversation with the community and also uh, just give back. You know, we've been doing it. We've been fortunate enough uh, through our fundraisers to really be able to give back quite a bit already. We've probably given, I mean, probably, I would say close to 150, 200 meals already, you know, um, and we'll keep going. So, um, you know, we helped sponsor a, a business downtown that was, you know, a restaurant, which obviously all these restaurants are struggling like crazy right now. Right. Um, and we sponsored them and, uh, you know, I get 10% off on me at the end of it. I had to write a little check to them, but they had one of their busiest days of the year. Um, and I was there for part of it and there were people coming in left and right. And they were actually, uh, you know, the, the workers in there were kind of, uh, you know, they were a little stressed because they were so busy. So that was a cool thing to see. Um, <clears throat> giving back there, you know, our fundraisers, we've been able to donate, um, a lot of food, uh, to people as well, to the local uh, rescue mission, which provides a lot of services for people going through recovery from drug and alcohol abuse and homelessness. Um, so we've partnered with them quite a bit, given them a lot of food. They seem to be pretty grateful for that. Um, and a lot of people donate through us. They donate, we do all the work and prepare the food and then uh, we donate it out. So I just, that's the big thing with the campaign. Let's just, uh, campaign can be a long, difficult thing. And um, you know, if you lose, uh, a lot of, you know, you, oftentimes you feel like it's not worth it, but I want it to be worth it, win or lose. One, in the organization we build, two, in the conversation we have, and three, in the, um, you know, what we're able to give back. So. That's well said. Yeah, because you know, we try to teach that to our players is you never really lose the scoreboard. Uh, the clock just runs out and you're always and I hear it from coaches all the time. You never lose. You're just constantly learning. So yeah. you're going to learn something from this win or lose. To me, it's the it's like you said earlier, it's the process of winning or the process of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's always the process. I mean, I think a winning mentality, a championship vision, if you will. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Is, is, uh, <laughs> you, you focus on the process. Right. And you're not focused on the results so much, but you know what it takes to get there and you know, it's the journey that counts. Yeah. It, and it's hard to do. And I know it's tough, uh, but I know you're, you're working hard. All right. Now I want to get your final opinion on, you know, we're Bay area, 49ers, giants, warriors. I don't know even what the, and I think right now talk about, first of all, the warriors are rebuilding, but I think they're going to be back. The Niners are, I mean, they're, they're right there at the precipice of being great. And the Giants are pretty much rebuilding. Give yeah, me, because you, you know, wait, we're we're a Bay Area family. So talk about yeah. the impact of, of those despite three your, teams. Despite your southern accent that you got. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I do. Okay. But talk about what you think's coming up. I mean, if we if we do come back. Um yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how, how sports evolves and adapts. I think, you know, we're gonna be going through this at least for another year in one form or the other. You know, it seems like we're going to loosen up a little bit going forward. And then when the fall comes, uh, there's going to be a lot of concern about um, doing flu season hits, about the right. disease popping back up. But um, no, the Giants, Giants are a mess. The Giants are out in the wilderness. Um, but the Giants <laughs> have had a, I mean, 
earlier in the decade, they had their greatest stretch ever in franchise history, won three World Series. So, you know, we've been we've been extremely fortunate. We've obviously Very been fortunate. Yeah. And we've been enormously this has been by far the greatest sports decade in Bay Area history. Um, you know, Giants win three, the Warriors win three, go to five finals, and the 49ers um go to two Super Bowls, lose them both, but they look God, they're both incredible games that that they could have won. Both right. of them they could have easily won. They could have seven Super Bowls right now. Um, no, I like uh, – the Giants are in the wilderness. The Warriors, um, they just got to get Steph and Clay back. Uh, and once those guys are back, then they're championship contenders again. Uh, this year is just a, a – you know, it's a lost year because of the injuries. Um, right. But once they get those guys back and everybody's healthy, they're, they're in the mix. Uh, and the 49ers look great. I mean, I, I really – Lynch and Shanahan seem to really know what they're doing. Um, yeah, they have a yeah. lot of good players on that team, um, and all of a sudden they've turned into a, you know, a powerhouse and just a team with a lot of really good players at a lot of positions. So they just gotta in the end, you just gotta get NFL guys keep getting lucky in the draft, and, um, you know, make sure everybody stays healthy. But you got guys like, you know, all over the field who are good. I think you know they'll losing Buckner was was a. You know, kind of a shame, but I think they'll get through it. That new guy they drafted, Kinlaw, seems seems like a man child. So um, he'll be he should be able to hopefully contribute a lot in there. But Buckner seemed like a he was just kind of a hard, a lot, in a lot of ways just a complete class act, and you know, a great guy to have on that team and a leader. Um, but I think a lot of the other guys can step up. Of course, you asked my dad about the 49er draft. Oh, it's the worst draft ever. You know, my dad's <laughs> always like that. You know, Mr. Ed trying to, oh, man, it's the worst draft. And I, I said, Dad, you don't know about the draft until three or four years down the road, really. No. Um, no. And that's it's all projection. And I think, I think the 49ers have a great organization. I think they have a vision. I think they have a shrewd leadership council. I mean, I think, I think it's all the key is the leadership. Yeah. No, it sets the tone. They get, they get the, no, it absolutely, absolutely sets the tone. I mean, you have a good system, one, and then two, you got to get the right players in there. And the players obviously are the ones that win and lose games, but, you know, the leadership gets the right players in there. And a lot of it's luck. I mean, a ton of it's luck. I mean, the, right. the Patriots that smart for drafting Tom Brady in the sixth round? No, they're just lucky as all hell. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> They passed on him five times and then uh. – and they yeah. draft him. This is lucky. The 49ers got Montana in the third round. That's luck. You know, yeah. you don't know. They didn't know Tom Brady was going to be the greatest quarterback ever. It's just sheer Not luck. And I don't you think that happens a lot, though? I think there's a lot of guys that go through the cracks nobody knows about and come out. Just by, just by pure luck, they become great. And I think that happens a lot. I think it's yeah. so sophisticated now with drafts. A lot of times, you yeah, have no clue who's no, going to be good. No. Uh, I mean, Scotty Pippen. Come on, I mean, uh, you know, you talk about Dennis Rodman, guys that yeah. came from nowhere. All right. Yeah. So, um, of course, I don't want to get into Jerry Krause because I think he's a villain. He's a villain, but he was pretty shrewd. Well, yeah, you look at him, and in so many ways, he, he's the villain of that show. But at the same time. Look at the moves he made. I mean, he went exactly. he went out of his way. He, Jordan was given to him. All right, so he's he's he <clears> starts <throat> on he starts on third base, but right. 
but he made a lot of smart moves. I mean, they got they got Rodman. Pippen was, in a way, I mean, that was his baby trading up to get Pippen. So they made moves to get Pippen. I mean, they identified him and sought him out, and that was brilliant. Um, you know, Tony Kukoc was a really nice player for him for years. Um, you know, look at all the other veterans that just Ron Harper. And, oh, Steve uh, Kerr. I mean, Kerr, you know, just a lot. I mean, yeah. Uh, I think one of the the sneakiest one was Bill Cartwright uh, in the Oakley trade. That was sneaky yeah. good. I mean, the, I, I think there's a lot of brilliance in Kraus, but he kind of got in his own way. <laughs> and that, that was the biggest problem. Yeah, it's personality. I mean, he's just yeah. yeah, it's all yeah. He wanted all the credit, and and it's just yeah, you get in your own way. I mean, you gotta look at a guy like on oh, the Warriors, you know, a guy like their GM Bob Myers, who just you know he made a lot of good moves too, but he doesn't want he doesn't act that way. He's not jumping up and down, you know, trying to be the, trying to take all the credit. Ego's ego can be incredibly, ego's incredibly damaging. You know, it can be. Yeah, and I think humility. Don't you agree? Humility um, is is a big part of leadership, right, Matt? Because you're not going out there saying, you know, of course I won't talk anything about politics about who doesn't have humility, but um, you know, humility is a big part of leadership. So I think people will believe in you. And yeah, I think you can sell your vision better with true humility. Oh, absolutely. I know I agree 100%. And you, you get a lot of people in leadership who are very egotistical and, um, you know, they want to be the greatest or they want to be, you know, they want to win on something and they want to be in charge and they want to be better than you and they want to get their way. And it's just, it's, that's devastating. That can be very damaging when, all those egos get involved, but part of leadership too is managing egos. I mean, you got, right. especially on a bat, you know, as a, on a basketball team, you got a lot of big sure. egos on a team. Then you got a lot of good players. You got a lot, you got one ball, a lot of players, a lot of egos, and you got to manage that. Everybody's going to be upset all the time because they didn't get enough shots or they didn't get, you know, they didn't get this or that. Right. You know, it's and it's to, about, yeah. And the key is to connect, connecting with people, building those relationships. So you know how to inspire and motivate. That's so true. Hey, Matt, man, I I really appreciate you sharing, man. This has been great. Um, You know, this has been a fun podcast for me. It's always good talking to you. Um, How can, if anybody wanted to get, I I ask this to all my coaches and my leaders, it's like, how can somebody get a hold? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Social media, Twitter, Facebook, email. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, probably um, uh, email is the best thing. It's, my campaign account is Matt, uh, M-A-T-T, at uh, Serato, S-E-R-R-A-T-T-O, uh, 2020.com. Uh, so Matt at Serato, 2020.com, S-E-R-R-A-T-T-O. Um, that's, probably, that's the easiest way, I think. Absolutely. And you do good. I'll have everything on there, your your Facebook and your Twitter account. Um, yeah. I'll make sure everybody sees that so they can keep abreast on what you're doing on the political campaign going on. So, Hey, okay. I'm really proud of you, man. I Wonderful. really, I really appreciate you, you kind of sharing with me and so forth. So, um, so we'll, Hey, we'll talk again tonight. So, but I really appreciate you coming on You're Hey, 152 of the championship vision podcast, my friend. <laughs> that was, <laughs> hey, it was a pleasure, Kev. No, this, it's a wonderful excuse to talk to you. I'd love to do it again. And, um, you know, it's just, no, it's just great to talk to you. So. All Miss right. you guys. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, man. All right. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. 
Hey coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division One, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey coach, this is Brad Shutter calling from Plymouth, Wisconsin. I um, want to thank you for doing the podcast. I've learned a lot from it. Um, I am an elementary FIED teacher and a girls basketball coach, so we have a lot in common. I like the fact that you um, do a mix of both the FIED teachers and the coaches as well. Um, keep up the great work, um, and once again, appreciate um, all you do to grow the game. Thanks.